0: Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. In honor of Mental Health Month, this episode is dedicated to the many language professionals who have experienced or are experiencing any sort of vicarious trauma. Please seek help. Talk to someone. Join a group. Connect with other professionals. You don't have to deal with it all on your own. On today's episode of Brand the Interpreter, we feature Marcelo Sedeño. Marcelo Cedeño is a native of Ecuador and has a BA in Modern Languages and Culture from Kennesaw State University. He also studied marketing and international business at Universidad Tecnológica América in Quito, Ecuador. In 2003, he began working in the field of linguistics. He first volunteered as an interpreter for a clinic in Marietta, Georgia, while working on his court interpreting certification. In 2004, Marcelo became a Registered Interpreter with the Georgia Commission on Interpreters as well as the Georgia Department of Human Resources. He became a Georgia Supreme Court Certified Interpreter in 2007. In 2012, he won a seat on the Board of Georgia Commission on Interpreters. In 2014, Marcelo became a Medical Certified Interpreter with CCHI. He currently serves as a lead interpreter and coordinator for Spanish interpreters in Fulton County State Court in Georgia and also works for Emory Healthcare. Marcelo is an instructor for the Georgia Commission on Interpreters and currently serves as the president of the Medical Interpreters Network of Georgia. He has been a presenter for Atlanta Association of Interpreters and Translators, Medical Interpreters Network of Georgia, Culture Connect Agency, Spanglish Agency, Emory Healthcare, CIRICOM, the Georgia Commission on Interpreters, and the California Healthcare Interpreters Association. In 2015, Marcelo made a documentary research called Beyond Words, an interpreter's documentary, which deals with vicarious trauma on interpreters. His documentary and the subject of his research was featured in a chapter of the book, The Healthcare Trifecta, And so, without further ado, here's Marcelo's story. Marcelo, I want to take the opportunity to thank you for making time during your busy day and giving the listeners the opportunity to hear your story.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really very, very honored to be here. I am originally from Ecuador. I was born and raised in a small coastal city called Chone. And I grew up there. I After high school, I went to study abroad in Pompano Beach, Florida. Went back to study college in Ecuador and eventually I transferred to Georgia and finished college in, in the United States, in the state of Georgia, to be more specific.
0: What is a memory, a special memory about Ecuador that you still recall?
1: One of the most... Special memories and fun memories I have growing up where I grew up, especially in my small town, was the sense of safety. I didn't grow up with the knowledge of uh, danger in the world because we were a very small community and we all knew each other. There was no crime. There was no babies being kidnapped or kids being kidnapped. So I grew up very naive, uh, thinking that, you know, the whole world is safe because that's, that's how I grew up. But those, those are some fun memories, being able to go with your friends and play outside, play sports and not having to worry about any danger or anything that seemed to occupy other countries' mind at the time.
0: I can imagine that that's a very fond memory and and I can relate to it a little bit in the sense that I often was very engaged in uh, storytelling as a kid and I thought the whole world was exactly like that. It was um, just one big, beautiful story until I grew up and uh, <laughs> realized that was not the case. Not all the time. Right.
1: At least. And also, also traveling, you know, to, to different countries and getting to know different uh, people from different culture, in my case, helped helped me realize that there was way more than what I knew like outside of my little bubble. And that's what fascinates me about the world, how diverse we are. But at the same time, I think we we have a lot of things that because we're humans, we all share.
0: Marcelo, talk to us a little bit more about your traveling. Uh, so give us a little bit more detail with regards to when you transitioned to come to the United States, what was that adventure for you like?
1: Well, it was great because I was a teenager. And, you know, when 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 you're a teenager, everything is five times more dramatic or exciting or or happy or sad. And it had been one of my dreams to go study abroad when I was a little kid. So I had spoken to my parents and I had told them that, that it was my wish to go study abroad when I finished high school. And to have the opportunity to do that was, was amazing. So coming to another country and to another culture was shocking to me because a lot of people I met were so different. I was, I was very lucky to be able to go to this institute in, in Pompano Beach where everyone was a foreigner. We were all there just to learn the language. And I was able to know people from the Middle East, people from Asia, people from Europe, which I have never met before. And getting to know how they live, their food, their culture, their religion was was truly fascinating. At that point, I was so fascinated about different cultures that I decided that one of my dreams from that point on was to get to travel a lot and see with my own eyes, where some of my friends were telling me about their countries.
0: And so your first destination became what?
1: So actually, my first destination was, was the Philippines. I had the chance to go there in 2005. And it was, it was a very exciting trip. It was a long trip, but I got to see a lot and I got to know a lot of people.
0: Did you acquire the English language back in Ecuador, or was that something that you acquired once you were out in Florida?
1: Uh, Through my life, I had learned basic English in school, but when when I moved to Florida, I was under the wrong impression that I was going to be able to communicate with people, and I really couldn't yet. I couldn't understand what they were saying. I could read some, I could write, but... My ear wasn't trained for the accent and it took me a while, but it really, after uh, four and a half months of intensive studies, I was able to become somehow fluent. And But, you know, after that, I continued to study English throughout basically the rest of my career. It's It's always been a passion of mine.
0: Yeah, that's what I was uh, going to ask now, is uh, the the transition between your studies and your experiences, and you begin to travel and begin to see the world. At what point did the language field become an interest to you?
1: Well, actually, when I uh, finished my studies in in Pompano Beach, Florida in 98, I went back home in June and I had to. To start college in a few months. And I still had not decided what I wanted to study. So the first thing that came to mind when selecting a career was that I wanted to go to school and I wanted to get a a degree on something where I could use my language skills. So that was like the number one requirement. It has, it has, it's, I have to study something where I can use my language skills. And at the time, I picked international business. So I went to school for international business and marketing for about a year and a half. And I came to Georgia and I transferred to a business school in a university here in Georgia. And then, but then eventually, I started doing interpreting and I really, really fell in love with the profession and I changed my major to. Basically, modern languages and, and, and literature, which is the degree that I got from the university.
0: What was that interpreting experience that led you to this road?
1: It was actually my very first assignment. I got to the interpreting profession by by mere accident. I, I, I was 23 years old and I used to work in a restaurant while going to school. And one of my coworkers, had had an issue in court where her boyfriend was going to trial, and her boyfriend was a Spanish speaker. And uh, basically, after the trial was done, she came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, my boyfriend was in court, and they had a they had a team of interpreters for him. And she said, "While as while I sat there, I thought of you. She said because I think you could be great." as an interpreter, you should go check it out. And so I did, I I got started right away with the the program, got my license, but really it, it took about four months after doing the whole program and after getting my license where I got my first job assignment. And the moment I left that assignment, I knew, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. And I can't explain why, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you an anecdote that happened just in March while I was at the California Healthcare Interpreters Association uh, conference. Somebody came up to me because after doing my presentation and after talking about mental health and we talked a little bit about addiction and other things, someone came up to me in the evening and said that there were a group of four women. And one of them was saying to me, we were talking earlier and we were thinking and talking about how everyone loves this profession so much that it almost feels addictive. And I thought that was very interesting that she said that. And what I could think of at the time and I said to her was that, I think what she's experiencing or this addiction that I think a lot of us feel while interpreting, is that having to change from one language to another what you're interpreting is very stimulating for the brain. It's almost like a workout for the brain. And if you really think about it, if you ever do an interpretation that is that has the appropriate length of time, where you go and you interpret and you don't get exhausted or tired, but you're able to provide a good interpretation back and forth. Usually you come out that interpretation feeling wonderful. Sort of like when you get out of the gym and and your whole body is just pumping. It's kind of the same experience, I think. And that is one of the things that I find fascinating about this profession that I learned by my own experience and by talking to some of my colleagues, how they. Just love that feeling of interpreting and going back and forth from one language to another.
0: Absolutely. I'd never really thought about it that way and until now that you're mentioning that, I'm making that connection. In his book Flow, Mihai, Chiksent talks about the autotelic experience. He says that the term autotelic derives from two Greek words, auto meaning self and telos, meaning goal. It refers to a self-contained activity, one that is done not with the expectation of some future benefit, but simply because the doing itself is the reward. When the experience is autotelic, the person is paying attention to the activity for its own sake. When it is not, the attention is focused on its consequences." He goes on by explaining that an autotelic experience is very different from the feelings we typically have in the course of life. So much of what we ordinarily do has no value in itself, and we do it only because we have to do it or because we expect some future benefit from it. Many people feel that the time they spend at work, he says, is essentially wasted. They are alienated from it, and the psychic energy invested in the job does nothing to strengthen their self. For quite a few people, he says that free time is also wasted. Leisure provides a relaxing respite from work, but it generally consists of passively absorbing information without using any skills or exploring new opportunities for action. As a result, life passes in a sequence of boring and anxious experiences over which a person has little control. He further explains that the autotelic experience, or flow, lifts the course of life to a different level. Alienation gives way to involvement. Enjoyment replaces boredom. Helplessness turns into a feeling of control, and psychic energy works to reinforce the sense of self instead of being lost in the service of external goals. And then this next piece is what I call a highlighter moment. He says, when experience is intrinsically rewarding, life is justified in the present instead of being held hostage to a hypothetical future gain. Marcelo, do you recall a moment in your professional career where you felt challenged? And if so, what did it teach you?
1: Well, the the most I've had a lot of challenging moments, as I'm sure we've all had during this the the course of our profession. And one of the things why I started doing this this sort of research and the documentary about vicarious trauma was because, for me personally, it was very difficult to deal with everything that I had to witness as an interpreter. And I started very young, so I, all of a sudden I was uh, put in an environment that I have never been before, in front of a judge or in the jail or with uh, criminals, people who have been accused of all sorts of things, um, gang members, and in, this is in court. Uh, And then in the hospital, having to see people dying and having my own uh, personal experience uh, or with with family members um, that had died and having to deal with death and in my family and friends and then having to go to hospitals and interpret that or or see it in court. It was was very, very, very difficult, especially at such a young age and you know, as I said before, being very naive, coming from an environment that was very safe back home, uh, where I have never seen a picture of a bloody person or I've never seen anyone dying in a hospital. So it was very challenging emotionally trying to take all of that in and trying to process that and trying to convey the message and trying to be professional. And it it took me a while to sort of uh, realize that 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 that's part of the job, and that if I love this job so much, I have to find a way to cope with with these things because they're they are part of our of our everyday uh, duties as you know as interpreters. So I would say that was the that has been the most difficult challenge, and and. Even, even nowadays, it's still difficult, but through the years, I've been able to, to develop some coping mechanisms where I can actually make it work.
0: Let's open that up a little bit, Marcelo, before we actually get into um, the story that led me to you. What does that look like for an interpreter that is a part of a situation like that? And when you say trauma, What can that look like for an interpreter? For maybe those that don't have the experience in assignments, such as the ones that you're referring to, what type of trauma are we talking about for an interpreter?
1: Well, everyone reacts differently. Um, I'll give you an example, something that I learned uh, while doing the, uh, the documentary, while I was interviewing people. There, there was an interpreter that once uh, got dispatched to interpret for a an interview with a child who had been sexually abused, and they had taken her to this special clinic to have this child uh, checked and and see where the sexual abuse took place or if it had taken place. So what I learned that happened was that this interpreter, by interpreting for this child, mm-hmm. apparently unblocked some memories from the past that this interpreter had blocked of uh, this interpreter being, being sexual, you know, abused themselves. Um, so having been being sexual abused, uh, this this interpreter had a, a nervous breakdown, apparently, and had to be taken to, to a hospital. Uh, those are those are the kinds, the, the kinds of things. This would be like worst case scenario for some people, but for the most part, imagine if you've ever lost someone, if you've lost your father and, you, and you've lost your mother or or a, or a brother or a friend or a boyfriend, and then all of a sudden you're dispatched to interpret for someone who is going through the same experience that you already went through. And even though you're the interpreter, uh, having to relieve that moment is going to have, it could potentially have a big impact on you. It can take a toll on you. And the more you do it and the more things you see, the more tragedy, the more death, the more people getting sick, um, it, it tends to become uh, more and more difficult. And if that is left untreated or if we don't deal with that issue, we don't process, uh, it can become a big part of our lives and it can become part of our like of our own personal issues. Um, What I usually tell people, by the way, is like, um, you need to check your sort of mental health. Uh, For example, if you see anything that is out of the ordinary, for example, if you're someone who is normally social and you've been working as an interpreter for a while and then all of a sudden you don't want to have uh, any interaction with people, you just want to isolate yourself, that is usually one of the first symptoms of of vicarious trauma. That's one of the first sim- symptoms that you've been getting affected and you're not dealing with it emotionally. Sometimes people feel lack of desire for things that were normally part of our daily routine like just cleaning up washing dishes which you know it's not that we love doing that but it's it's part of our routine and then if all of a sudden you're just neglecting all of that or or neglecting your own let's say personal hygiene or if you're not taking care of yourself and you used to that may be a sign that something is is really bothering you and affecting you and you probably haven't realized
0: Yeah, and I think particularly right now with everything that is going on and the new norm that we are having to adjust to, some of us haven't been in the situation for weeks now. I think that that's mainly what pulled me to your story uh, that was shared online. And uh, it was a post that highlighted you presenting on a topic that I feel now more than ever seems to be a very important topic, which is vicarious trauma, and the interpreter. And so I did want to go a little bit more in detail as to what you can provide our listeners that uh, the majority of the platform are in fact interpreters out in the field that are possibly experiencing uh, these situations or these uh, experiences through their assignments, and then having to deal with whatever is going on at home, what is the information that you're giving when you're doing these presentations that you're giving the interpreters as far as what can be done to help them? Because I feel that this isn't a subject that is widespread in our community, unfortunately. And yet, just like you just pointed out, can affect us tremendously.
1: Yes. It is an issue that I feel is very prevalent in interpreters. And what I... What I think is one of the main the main factors that has a huge impact and huge influence in how we deal with vicarious trauma and we meaning in interpreters is that we're sort of educated with the culture of invisibility, which I think it's it's wrong to tell interpreters you your job is to be invisible. You're invisible or the interpreter is invisible you're not there to show any emotions you're not there to basically you are a neutral party and you have to be there and if you feel any emotions you just need to not show them um and and i i find that very disturbing because we are human beings we're full of emotions and what i what i have encountered is that interpreters feel bad if they're they're interpreting and then let's say The story that you're interpreting for has impacted you so much that, but you don't want to cry because you don't want people to think, "Oh my gosh, he's such a bad interpreter. He's showing his emotions," and so instead, we develop this unhealthy habit to just shove it in and just ignore what's going on and sort of detach from it, but. It's still in our memory and it eventually will come back and haunt us uh, because all those traumatic experiences that we witness, if we don't deal with them in a healthy way, they're just going to stick with us. So interpreters, we don't talk about, you know, those things because number one, we're also told that everything is confidential and a lot of people feel that if they go and talk about a particular a patient, or if they go and talk about a particular incident, they will be violating HIPAA. And the reality is that they wouldn't if, you know, if all they, they're going to talk about is what what they saw, what happened to them. For example, I had a patient who died, and that really affected me. So talking about those things are very important because the more you talk about them, um, the more you would be able to make it more, you know, more acceptable. Um, I gave an example that I I recently read somewhere, and I thought this was fascinating. Uh, and I gave the, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Um, in the you know in the Catholic faith, um, there is a belief that there are demons who can take possession of a human body. And the belief is that you cannot kill the demon, but you can make the demon weaker if you call it by its true name. So the more times you call that demon by by its name, the weaker it gets it it gets. And so with mental health, it's it's the same. If we identify what our issue is, for example, if we are so traumatized because we saw someone who died and we were interpreting, it is it is advisable to talk about it, uh, to, verbal, to verbalize that if that is affecting you, instead of just keeping it to yourself. Because once you start talking about it, and and even if you have to to say it a few times, talk it, talk about it with different people. The more you talk about it, the easier it will get, and the and and the quicker it would take for for you as an interpreter to start healing because all of, the, all of those things, whether we like, we like it or not, it affects us because those are, you know, emotional uh, uh, feelings that we are seeing. People crying because they lost their loved ones or you see a child dying of cancer and, you know, of course it's going to affect you. And my advice for people is the number one step is to not be afraid to share that with someone, uh, especially if it's another coworker who can understand what you're going through.
0: I think that for many of us, even myself included, I am definitely one that is continuously encouraging that quote-unquote professionalism and being able to disassociate ourselves professionally from what is currently happening at the moment uh, during the assignment. You know, I I am big on the invisibility aspect and um, also trying to keep that uh, confidentiality aspect involved as well. So what you just said right now, it's truly eye-opening because it is something that At the moment, I I talk about professionalism and um, being able to continue to be that voice without the emotion impacting the delivery of our message. But what I never thought about was the aftermath, right? So, how do we deal if it has, in fact, affected us to the point where there is emotion being stirred up? How do we deal with that afterward? And so, I think that that's That was really drawing to me um, as you're speaking right now. um, The calling out of the name, uh, that story was was great. Thank you for uh, including that. I think that that's super important for us as interpreters, being able to know what to do. What do we do then if we want to ensure that we are calling out our emotion or our fear or whatever just affected us how do we call out its name what do we do and so it's kind of like giving us that permission to say it's okay to talk about it you know because it's something that is going to help heal you right
1: yes absolutely and uh, i mean if if you really think about an encounter let's let's say for example a medical encounter where they're gonna, where they have the, these family meetings, and usually when they have a, a medical family meeting, it's usually not good news. And you'll have several providers: you'll have doctors, nurse, nurse practitioners, nurses, you have a social worker, and you have a family member or 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 several family members, and you're there as an the interpreter. Well. Why is it okay for everyone else, and I mean providers, to show their feelings to the family? You'll have a doctor holding the the, uh, family member's hands or the patient's hands and say, you know, it's going to be okay. You'll see the social worker doing that. You'll see the nurse maybe hugging the patient or one of the family members and, you, you know, not just for them, but also for this nurse, this nurse needs to heal as well. And by embracing somebody, by sharing that moment, uh, it helps both parties. So out of everyone there, the only one who is not allowed to do that is the interpreter. The Interpreter has to sit back and supposed to not have any emotions. Well, are you going to tell me that the interpreter is the only one who is not being affected by everything that is going on? Of course not. We just have a different set of rules. And I think with time, we do develop some kind of uh, skills to not let those things bother us as much because in part, I guess, we do it so much and we have been constantly told not to show any emotions that we sort of develop that skill. But sometimes it's just impossible. Uh, sometimes your your humanity will not allow you to just stay there uh, you know, expressionless and you, and I think it's, it's okay for you to let it rip if it, you know, if it comes to that, but even if you don't have to do that, even if you're able to handle that, that assignment and that encounter, and you come out and you, and, and you know yourself and you know that this is going to affect you, you must know a way or you, you must know some skills to be able to handle that on your own. And the most effective effective skill that I've, uh, I've learned and by talking to other people is what works. The number one is talking about it, talking to somebody else. That's why support groups work because all they do is people get together and start talking about their issues and just letting that out in the open just helps tremendously. So that, that would be the number one thing.
0: I just recently had a guest on the show that talks about them having them, meaning the team of interpreters from their, from her hospital or their hospital, having a team huddles basically, which is, it has nothing to do with talking about work or talking about assignments. Uh, it, it, all it is is uh, them coming together as interpreters virtually right now because of everything that is going on and giving them the platform to be able to talk about how they're feeling, uh, you know, any upsets, things like that, just so that they have the opportunity to share it out. And it made me realize that that's one thing that, um, with all the social distancing that we're currently having, that it's one thing that we no longer have is the opportunity to be able to share out our. Not just experiences, but what we're feeling, perhaps with somebody else that may be there presently when we, when we were yeah. out and about, right? And so, um, it just, it, I just made that connection with what you're sharing and with the opportunity that she, as director, is giving uh, her medical interpreting staff.
1: Yeah, thank you also for sharing that. Actually, uh, the, the the medical interpreter network of Georgia. I'm, I'm, I'm the president. We, we started last Monday an ongoing uh, support group for interpreters. And it's, it's all do, done through Zoom. And we have a, a therapist who was an interpreter. So she was working as an interpreter while studying to be a, a, a therapist. And she does a lot of work work with interpreters. So she wanted to start this ongoing support group uh, exactly for this very reason, because now that we're sort of isolated, um, we were thinking that it it would be great for people to be able to come together, even if, if it's virtually and talk about what they're feeling, what they're experiencing right now. And last Monday we had about 15 people and it was a wonderful conversation and we're having it again this coming Monday. We already have about 20 people and this is very important. One one of the things because as, as a moderator, I, I get to listen and what, what everyone is saying. And I think it's very powerful just to have people talking about what is bothering them. I can tell that at, at the end of the session, a lot of them were so thankful. And, and all we did was basically listen to them and give them a word of advice. But talking is definitely very, very important.
0: You beat me to, uh, that was actually the next question and the next point that I was going to make, which uh, is highlight the fact that you are the current president of the Medical Interpreter Network of Georgia. And the question that followed was, what has this opportunity allowed you to do? And you just stated is uh, being able to put something together like this for your network is huge, is uh, most definitely needed, and for some reason, it's not something that is talked about really. And I think a lot of the experiences we're currently having with being able to join online webinars or you know Zoom sessions or things like that is just being able to have that human-to-human connection with someone else. And so, all business aside, being able to offer. interpreters or language professionals, a platform where they can feel like they're being listened to and a platform where they can share their feelings as opposed to, you know, not necessarily having anyone around to be able to do so and uh, keeping that to themselves. I think it's something that we all need to consider uh, moving forward for our listeners listening to this podcast episode. I think um, it's something that perhaps we can help start in our organizations, or maybe even just individually amongst ourselves, right? Giving ourselves some powwow time.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, when I was at the California conference in San Diego back in in March, after my presentation, I told the the people who came that I said, "I'm, I'm going to give you a task for either today or tomorrow. I said, you need to talk to someone about something that you experienced or that you have experienced as, as a medical interpreter, as a court interpreter, that was very hard and difficult. And you're going to go and talk about it with a colleague because there were about 500 people, I think. And then, uh, have that colleague tell you something, you know, that they found, uh, traumatic, Um uh, while they were working as an interpreters, and uh, that evening I was in, in the elevator, and there was this this group of people that came in in the elevator, and they were from, they they all were interpreters from a particular hospital, I don't remember which, and they were telling me that they they had just gotten back from dinner. And there were about 10 of them, they had sat at a round table for dinner and they had thought about that, that task that I, I had told them to do. And so they had all started talking about one particular bad memory they had as an interpreter. And, and they said it was, it was amazing. Like the stuff that people were talking about, that uh, they, after that, they felt so much better, but they also felt that they bonded as co-workers and as you know and and as colleagues because they a lot of times we feel that uh, that we're the only ones who are going through what we're going through sometimes we think that we have a problem we have this big issue coming up I can't pay my rent or I can't do this or this is bothering me and and sometimes we feel that we're the only ones going through that and when you get to hear other people going through the same things that you're going through it's it's kind of empowering you know in a way because it helps you realize that you're not alone and that maybe together you know they can work or they can do something uh better for themselves
0: i could not agree with you more marcelo talk to us a little bit about the documentary that you mentioned
1: so the documentary is called Beyond Words, and it, it's a project that I decided to do back in 2015. And what I wanted, I I had been reading for many years about psychology and, and human behavior and having experienced vicarious trauma myself, having learned about it through the years and read about it through the years. I wanted to put all my knowledge on the subject together. And and at first I was thinking on a form of a presentation, like I wanted to talk about this maybe at conferences, but then I thought, I think it would be more powerful if I present this in a visual way, if I'm able to present this visually where people can not just only hear someone speaking or talking, but that they can see what they're going through. And so I decided to do this documentary where I interview six interpreters, three, well, some were uh, interpreters for court and hospitals, other were only court interpreters, other were only medical interpreters. And basically I started asking each one of them to tell me if they could remember uh, a moment while interpreting that was very traumatic for them. Uh, one interpretation that they could, ne- that it was so traumatizing that they could, that they could not forget about it. And it was very interesting because every single person could remember a bad experience right away. They didn't even have to talk about it. I mean, to, to think about it uh, for too long. And they were also talking about this particular, you know, horrific experience. Uh, they were like, I experienced this. I had to interpret for someone who was accused of, of child abuse. And, you know, they, they told the stories. And some of them had never shared those stories before. So after that, they, they were feeling great. But it was so interesting to me to see that every single one of them had a sort of a traumatic experience that jumped out of their brain the minute you mentioned it. However, when I asked them if they could remember a positive experience, a happy experience as, as, as interpreters, only three of them could remember the other three could not, so that showed me that we tend to, when with happy experiences we think about it, and we process, we process them, and they're gone. But with bad experiences, it seems that we don't know how to process them, and they stick they stick with us for a long time. So that was sort of the premise of 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 the documentary and. Um, just showing the emotional impact that we, that, that we go through. There's a lot of information in there, a lot of uh, research from, uh, from other publications that I have added into the documentaries. It's a 55-minute documentary. It also deals with some of the, the harshness that we have to endure as, you know, as interpreters with providers. And so it focuses on all of that.
0: And you said that the documentary is titled beyond words where can we find the documentary Marcelo
1: the documentary I uploaded on YouTube last year and so it's it's free to watch so you just have to to google it and if you google it through beyond word document beyond words documentary you'll be able to find it and see it as i said it's a it's, it's a 55 minute documentary and i i think you're gonna like it and i think when when i presented it for the first time i didn't know what the reaction um, was going to be i didn't know how people were going to react to it but it was shocking that when the lights came on after after it was done there were several people they were they were crying so to me, that was very powerful because it, it, it showed me how impactful that was for them.
0: I will make sure to include the link to the documentary in the show notes. Um, so for those that are interested in watching Marcelo's documentary, make sure you either Google it, like he said, or it, you can also just go to the show notes and um, click on the link for that. Marcelo, today you have given us so much valuable, uh, insightful, and useful information. And so I'm not sure if there's anything else that you could include, but if there is, what is the best piece of advice that you'd like to share with an up-and-coming interpreter or even our seasoned interpreters?
1: Well, I always say to people... uh, if if you are an interpreter and you are an interpreter because this is your passion, you're gonna do very well. If you if you became an interpreter because you think there's gonna be easy money and because you're bilingual and you know this is gonna be just just a nice gig to have, you're probably not gonna do you're, you're not gonna do well and you're gonna be burned out. But other than that, if you're really in, in, in this profession because you love it, just know that there are. Ways to help ourselves while still enjoying the, this profession. I, I have been an interpreter since 2004. So, and d- despite my, my, my experiences with, with a trauma, I have truly enjoyed this profession. I'm, pl- I'm planning on doing this for a long time. But one what, what advice that I, I would like to give to everyone is just take care of yourself, Take take care of your mental health. You mentioned earlier that we we don't really talk about the, the issues that bother us as interpreters, and when uh, talking about mental health is such a taboo. There's a lot of misconceptions when you when, when you hear mental health, people think uh, you know all sorts of things. But it it really being at peace, being uh, being happy, content with. With what you do, that is good mental health. If you're not feeling that way, if you're feeling anxious all the time, if you're feeling overworked or overwhelmed or or, or burned out, consider taking a look into yourself. You may be experiencing vicarious trauma. You may be experiencing a depression. And if you are, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. But just learn about it, talk to someone about it, and get help because you know this is. For you, we all want to be in this life to be happy. Happiness is one of our pursuits, and we we all deserve to, you know, to be happy and to enjoy our career. So, if you're not enjoying it, see what the problem is and try to look for help.
0: Thank you so much. That was wonderful and a absolutely great piece of advice, Marcelo. I want you to know that that feeling of safety and security that you grew up feeling in Ecuador is somehow now continues to be connected in your life and you are bringing that sense of safety and security to the world of interpreters now. And so I want to thank you once again for the opportunity to talk to you today and the opportunity to share your information and your knowledge and great advice to our language professionals. Thank you so much again.
1: Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm very honored.
0: What an amazing conversation. Now more than ever, we need to give ourselves the opportunity to validate what we're feeling. You're not alone out there. There's a whole community of professionals willing to listen to you. Your challenge for this week is to connect with someone and let them know that they're your person. And if they see your number pop up on their screen, you need them and need them to listen. Or, I challenge you to create a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly powwow with other language professionals. Share your stories there. And speaking of sharing your stories, Season 2 of the Brand the Interpreter podcast will feature the stories you've shared with me. And since Marcelo has encouraged us all to talk about the stories that have most impacted us, I'd like to hear your stories. And so do others. You can share your story as an anonymous submitter or not. The point of this is to give you yet another platform to share your unique experiences. For more information on Brand the Interpreter Story Wednesdays, please visit www.brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the Story Wednesdays tab or click on the link in my social media platforms. To find out more about Marcelo Cedeño, you can find him on LinkedIn as Marcelo Cedeño with an N. Also, visit the Medical Interpreter Network of Georgia at www.mingweb.org. I'll have all these links on the show notes. Well, that's all for today's episode, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, tell your story. Brand the Interpreter. Till next time. Bye-bye.